we are here uh, to talk about and, and to, uh, to lift our voices up in thanksgiving uh, for that truth that, that we celebrated last week. That, that truth that we exclaim every time we gather together as, as God's people and we shout, He is risen! He is risen indeed! Alleluia! Right? And we know that that truth isn't just true on Easter Sunday, right? That that truth, that declaration that He is risen is the truth that the life of the church is lived under. That, that our entire life as God's people is found in that exclamation. That, that we gather together and, and when we come together in worship, oftentimes worship is, is talked about as, as every time God's people gather, it is, it is like a mini Easter uh, where, where, where the gift of Christ's resurrection comes into the present. As we declare together that mystery that encompasses our faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And, and His intention when He comes again is to raise us up with Him. And that's the, the hope that we share. That, that is the hope that I believe the entire Scriptures attest to. That from beginning to end, the hope that we have, God's intention is the world, is to take dying and dead things and raise them to new life. And so during the, the, this Easter season, we're going to be taking a look at, at some of these different accounts that we have of God doing just that. God bringing new life in the midst of death. And taking a look at a, at a few of the, these miraculous accounts of, of people actually being raised from the dead here in this life. And examining how these put forth for us sort of a, a picture of our future hope. Uh, sort of this foretaste of, of, of the promise that is to come to us. That just as Christ was raised, we will be raised too. And now the first of, of these accounts, it, it comes from our Old Testament lesson in, in 1 Kings chapter 17. And, and it's this account of, of Elijah raising the son of this widow. Now, now just a, a brief refresher. Elijah was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Israel during the reign of King Ahab, which would have been roughly the 9th century B.C. And, and much of Elijah's ministry was really centered on defending the worship of Israel's one true God, Yahweh, over and against this false worship of the idol Baal. Right, and so perhaps you remember uh, the account in, in 1 Kings of Elijah and this sort of contest against the prophets of Baal where they both have their sacrifices on the altar and they pray to call down fire from heaven. Right, And, and the one that actually receives the answer will be the one who, who is declared sort of the winner and, and the true prophets. Right, and you remember what happens in that story is, is the prophets of Baal, they, they cry out, they wail, they cut themselves, and, and nothing happens. Yet when Elijah prays to the Lord, fire comes down, consuming both of the, of the sacrifices there on those altars. That God defends himself as the one true God of Israel. And this really characterizes much of Elijah's ministry. 
And, and so in this story, what has just happened is Elijah has gone to King Ahab and he has declared to Ahab that there will be no rain in Israel, that, that there will be this drought, and, and exactly that has happened. Now, after he does this, God tells Elijah to go to this place called Zarephath and find this widow and stay with her there. And so Elijah follows God's command. He goes and stays with this widow. And because there is no rain in the land, there's also a great shortage of food in the land. And so he's there with this widow in Zarephath and, and she feeds him. She cares for him. And, and what occurs there is that God continues to miraculously provide for her. Is, is that her jar of flour never runs out. And, and the oil for cooking continues to flow forth. That, that there is this miraculous, endless provision of food. As this woman cares for God's prophet at a great deal of economic risk to herself. And, and so what we see in this woman is, is we see this great hospitality, this great compassion and kindness that she shows to Elijah. And we also see this great exercise of faith that, that even though there is a shortage of food in her home, that she still trusts that God will miraculously provide for her so we see this great example of, of kindness, compassion, and hospitality, and we see this great example of a faithful woman each and every day trusting in the Lord for her provision. But in the midst of all of that, her son gets sick. And the illness progresses, and he dies. And unsurprisingly, this woman is devastated. She is devastated because not only is this son the son whom she loves, but this son would be for her as a widow, her, her source of earthly economic security. He would be the one to, to watch over his mother, to, to care for his mother, and God takes him away. And so she goes to Elijah, the prophet of God, and she says to him, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And she goes to Elijah and she says, I have done nothing but care for you. I have done nothing but trust in God for my provision, and yet he has still come and taken my son away from me. Have you just come into my house to, to throw my sins in my face? To take that which is most precious from me? And, and one can hardly blame her for feeling this way. She was a devout and faithful woman. Trusting in the Lord, showing hospitality and kindness to Elijah. And in the midst of all of that... God takes her son from her. And we maybe haven't been in that place 
quite as intensely or, or quite as pointedly, but I think many of us, we identify with the cry of this widow. Now, many of us, and, and I, would, I would suggest perhaps even all of us, we, we have been in places where, where we believe that, that we are following the Lord faithfully. Fixated on, on our relationship with Jesus and, and, and seeking to serve Him in the world. And then God throws us suffering and pain. He, he gives us twists and turns in life that, that we could have never imagined or predicted. So, so no matter how hard or, or fervently we pray, we, we still encounter things like, like car problems that, that, that stretch the budget further than we think it could go. Or we get hit with health problems and those medical bills start, start piling up. Or, or no matter how adamantly we seek God, it, it seems like there's just some relationships in life that, that we can never quite repair. Or, or perhaps worst of all, it seems like that even for the faithful, we are never spared the agony of death. The, the agony of, of losing those that we love. But why does it seem like, like the faithful always suffer? I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem quite fair. You would think that if God loves us, that he would spare us those, those most difficult and painful things in life, wouldn't he? That, that, that he would prevent suffering from coming our way. That, that he would protect us from these things in life. But yet you and I both know that that's not the case. And, and in fact, I think many of us have probably observed that sometimes it seems like those that we see as most faithful suffer more than anyone else. That, that those who are devoted to the Lord often undergo great, a great deal of, of, of suffering and difficulty. While, while those who, who are apathetic, those who are maybe dishonest, walk through life with, with comfort. But you see, the fact of the matter is, is, is we never see in Scripture God promising us and God promising His people a comfortable and prosperous life. In fact, what we see in Jesus and we see in his followers and we see throughout the scriptures is oftentimes that the faithful are promised that suffering will come. That it's almost a, a sure thing that we will face trials and tribulations and, and suffering and pain in this life. But you see, the promise that we do have and that we are reassured of over and over again that, that while suffering may not be kept from us, that we have a God who never abandons us, who never leaves us in suffering, who promises His presence with us in the midst of our pain and our trials. As that cry of the widow comes to Elijah, he, he hears her. 
And just as she has treated him with such kindness and compassion, he treats her with that same compassion. And he responds to her, he says, give me your son. And Elijah, he picks up the child, he takes him in his arms, and he goes upstairs to the room that he's staying in. And he lays the child down on his own bed. And that cry of the widow then becomes Elijah's own cry. He cries out to God, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? He's saying to him, God, of all the people in Israel, you have seen this faithless land, but here is this example of faith. Why have you brought this upon her? And then Elijah does something rather strange. Something very odd. He stretches himself out over the child, placing his own body on the dead corpse of this boy. And he continues to cry out to God, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And God hears the cry of Elijah. And miraculously and unfathomably, the boy's life is restored to him. The boy is raised from the dead and Elijah sees that God has heard his prayer. And he takes the child downstairs and presents him to his mother. And there, this widow sees her son standing before her alive. And Elijah says to her, see Your son lives. And the woman responds, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. God hears the cry of this widow and through his servant Elijah, he reaches down into death and restores the life of this son. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's miraculous. God hears this cry and, and raises this child up. But, but what I think is, is almost even more striking than, than just the miracle itself is the way that God brings this miracle about. I, I mean, you look at, at, at this story and, and the way that Elijah operates it is sort of strange. You see this image of of this raising of the dead, and and it is intensely physical. Elijah, he he takes the boy in his own arms, takes him to his own room, puts him in his own bed, stretches his own body out upon him, which is, is a strange enough scene in and of itself, but it becomes even more strange and even more unthinkable when we read this in light of the Jewish law, which if you read Numbers chapter 19, verse 11, it states very plainly that anyone who touches the dead corpse of anyone is pronounced spiritually and ceremonially unclean for seven days. So so to touch this corpse would be considered unclean, unthinkable for God's prophet. But Elisha disregards all of that. 
He enters into that which is unclean. And through that, God hears Elijah's cry and restores the life of this child. And that's precisely how our God works, isn't it? That that we have a God who is so intent on raising us up again that he won't spare us any amount of uncleanliness, any amount of suffering, any amount of pain, if that is what it takes to bring our dead corpses into his life. We have a God who willingly enters into that which is unclean in order to raise us up again. That's precisely what we see on the cross. The Son of God dying a cursed, shameful death on a cursed and shameful cross, all so that our lives could be restored. Also, that we could be raised up again. And the promise that we have through Jesus is not simply a spiritual one. It is not just simply the promise that our souls will be spared damnation. But the hope that we have through Jesus is an intensely physical hope for both body and soul. That just as Christ entered into death and made it His own, and was raised victorious over it, so too we will be raised just like He was. That that same body that He stretched Himself over when you were baptized with water and the Word, it is the same body that He intends to raise up with Him, to live with Him in His kingdom forever. The the same bodies of our loved ones that that we have mourned over are the same bodies that we are going to see again when they are raised up with Jesus on the last day. Our, Our bodies that have in this life endured suffering and pain are the bodies that will endure nothing but joy and celebration when we live with Christ in His kingdom. The only difference is those bodies will be restored and perfected They will be like Christ's resurrected body, free from the sting of sin, free from death, free from suffering and decay. That this hope that we have is is a physical hope that we will live with Christ. Restored bodies, a restored creation with Him and His perfect kingdom. Our Lord Jesus has come into the flesh. He has entered into that which is unclean to free you from it. In the midst of your pain and your suffering, do just as the widow did. Do just as Elijah did. Cry out to him. In the midst of the uncleanliness of your sin, Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Him with the confidence that He hears you. Cry out to Him and hear again that promise that just as Christ has come, He is coming again. And when He comes, He will raise you up with Him. Amen?